I'm Michaela, welcome back. Hello. I just saw a list in Psychology Today of lists of reasons people break up, you know, and there's all these, and these sorts of lists, cheating or infidelity as it's called, is usually very near the top. And I'm sure in your practice you've seen many instances of, of cheating, you know, it's, it's about to happen, it's happening, it's just happened and so on. So I'm curious, how common do you think it is, infidelity, these days? Well, I would say it's very common, but I think there's very different reasons why certain people cheat and why others do or don't, right? But I think it's very common. Um, there's, of course, variations of cheating from actually being with another human to, um, you know, crazy text exchange in the middle of the night or um, engaging with other people more of an, on an emotional level, maybe not physical level. So there, I think, is a wide range of, um, let's call it, uh, looking other places for distraction or for certain needs to be filled or for actual uh, physical connection. So when you think it's very common, what are we talking here? Can, can, we, can, can we quantify that somehow? Well, obviously, um, it's not easy for me to quantify that because I see people mostly when they have relationship issues. So I would say that in both my private practice and in the work you and I do together, it's fairly common. Um, and there's a lot uh, of reports of uh, the breaking of the trust, the cheating, but also uh, the, the wantingness to be with other partners in a more open and discussed way and everything in between. So I would say I can speak about the broad general public, but the people who come to me and the people who come to us, it's fairly common. I'd say definitely in the 80, 90 percentile. Gosh, that much. Yeah. Wow. So something interesting you said there is you said cheating can be a range of things. And of course, there's the sense of, as you say, being with somebody, which I assume you mean sexually being with somebody, uh, and then everything from, uh, you know, texting and so on, uh, having texting exchanges and so on. So I'm curious if we can maybe define what is the key aspect of cheating that's damaging to the relationship, if you like. I mean, of course, texting is one thing. Uh, having a full-on side relationship is another thing. Um, you've also talked about want the wantingness to be with others. Uh, does that count as as cheating, a sort of cheating of, of, of the imagination, or uh, perhaps is there a, a kind of degree of emotional bond or connection that one might form with someone which would be, you know, what determines what cheating is within a relationship? Because I also, from what I understand, uh, different relationships handle that differently. They have different boundaries and borders and so on. So what's cheating in for one couple may not be the same for another. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that sort of definitions, I guess. Yeah, I think that would be useful because, of course, most people understand cheating as your your partner with whom you have agreed on a certain form of relationship that is most likely monogamous or but at least committed is having sex with someone else. That's commonly uh, seen as cheating, but there is a lot of other areas that are equally as detrimental to a relationship. And when we look at detrimental to a relationship, what we're mostly looking at is on one end, the breaking of a trust or the breaking of a bond or agreement or connection, um, either perceived or real. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, or we can also talk about uh, the 
the break in the relationship, as in the relationship is no longer functioning the way it used to based on other people's influences into the relationship. Uh, and that's uh, very different from couple to couple, and it's also different between people. So there's typically two kinds of, um, let's say, uh, ways that people go at it. They're bored in the relationship, um, and that boredom in the relationship could be either because the relationship is lacking something or because they want more than one relational engagement or sexual engagement. And that's sometimes uh, one of, or that's often one of the reasons why trust is broken, that one person sees that um, turning the attention somewhere else as kind of a, uh, add on or a, a momentary distraction that doesn't mean that much while the other person sees it as a break in the bond and a break in the trust. And uh, that who, who, you know, that happens with depends in the relationship. It can happen from either partner, but when it happens, it could be because there's actually something missing or the person perceives it as actually missing or it could be that they're just built or think that they're built in a way that they want other things happen as well. And they don't see it really as cheating, as a breaking of the bond and as a breaking of the trust. But if we want to go very broad, then we could say that uh, cheating or infidelity or distraction is anything that makes the relationship worse, um, anything that breaks the agreements of the relationship or anything that breaks the actual relationship. Well, perhaps we could restrict it then to um, cheating involving uh, some emotional or erotic relationship with another person to some degree, whether that's, uh, I don't know, I mean, that's what I'm trying to get to the heart of, I guess, I mean, is flirting cheating? Um, you know, if we, if we define it as anything that makes a relationship worse or is a distraction, then you know, the, uh, watching a TV show or a ball game or so on could be considered cheating, you know. So um, if we think about it just in terms of relationship, uh, is flirting cheating? What about uh, texting? What about, you know, there's that uh, website, uh, Ashley Madison. Uh, they had this dating website, Ashley Madison. Do you recall that one? I do. And it was exclusively for people who were one who wanted uh, to play away, basically, as we'd say here in the UK. <laughs> And it was actually the case. I think that there was some great leak of the user base, wasn't there? And then everyone was looking through to see if their partner was on there. So, so, so is that cheating? You know, window shopping, snacking, as I know you call it sometimes. I, I mean, I, I loathe to make these big declarations because it totally depends, right? And and what I mean by that is, um, for most people, when their partner starts essentially saying things like. I would like to be with other people, at least in theory, right? Because you're not that interesting to me anymore, or I'm bored with our sexual relationship, or I want an additional relationship like spicing up other than our relationship. That's pretty painful and it's pretty hurtful. And uh, it, it certainly doesn't help uh, one's personal self-esteem and it certainly doesn't help the relationship when it's perceived that the relationship in itself isn't either sufficient or good or worth um, pursuing, right? Now, we both know that that's not the entire story when somebody wants to play away or things like that. It often has to do with their own personal stuff or it has to do with the way they're built. 
But I would definitely say that where most people draw a very strong line is when something sexual is involved and when something romantic is involved. But more now than ever before, you hear from people that their partners are essentially tindering or whatever they're doing, right? And they, they might never meet that person, but they get so wrapped up in that game of the sexy talk and the maybe hooking up and the talking about dirty things and whatever that they're essentially not even, you know, home, so to speak, in the relationship. They're not even there. They're just, you know, in their office, uh, tindering away or texting away or, um, you know, in their cars or wherever. And um, that could be considered a real deal breaker when it comes to forging some intimacy and, and actually connecting with that person. And then you, of course, hear when, when people, I just had a session with somebody yesterday where he said, well, you're always on my case. And she said, well, I'm always on your case because you're, you're totally absent. And he goes, well, I wouldn't be totally absent if you weren't totally on my case and so on and so on, right? So there's, and so then the, the trust is broken. And when the trust is broken, then the person who plays away in some way or another um, feels more justified to you know, get the validation somewhere else. And the person who has started complaining, it feels more justified complaining because they feel their attention going away. So it's a really dicey topic as far as when, when is it actual cheating and when is it just the same kind of distraction that somebody who's into ball games does, who disappears in their den, um, you know, in front of football or, you know, whatever, every Sunday and isn't available. You know, one could say that's also a form of distraction. And, and you did say that. So, you know, it's, it's tough to say, but I think um, when we really look at it and when it really creates problems, it's typically when another human is involved with whom that person forges either uh, a temporary sexual bond or at least sexual excitement or an emotional excitement. And some people tend to bond very deeply emotionally and sex is kind of the outcome of that. And for other people, them having sexual adventure doesn't actually mean that they have an emotional bond. And typically there's one of each in a relationship. So what that of course means is that the person who bonds deeply before opening sexually thinks that their partner who's just wanting to have a little bit of fun is doing that with that person, which makes it of course so much tougher and, and more painful. And the other way around, the person who's just having a bit of fun and sexual stuff on the side doesn't understand that when their partner who bonds more emotionally and then starts opening sexually, when they start putting their attention toward someone else, it's actually grave, much more grave than just a sexual fling. Because, um, the, you know, some people are built that way that they, when they turn away, they turn away for good, pretty much, it's done. And it's just a matter of that taking its course. Well, for other people, it's more like, well, you know, let's have a little bit of fun. Let's snack a bit, like you were saying, um, you know, let, let's have a different flavor. And then that allows me to go back to my chosen, chosen, you know, permanent flavor with a lot more vigor in, in you know, in my engagement, a little bit more pep in the step. So, 
there's, you know, there's that whole broad range from having essentially already emotionally close to a person and, and going somewhere else to just being a bit bored or needing a bit of extra stimulation or being unhappy. That's interesting. You, of course, are from Austria and you've lived in the States for a long time and you've also traveled around the world and, and, and worked with people from all over the world. Do you think, how much of this do you think is cultural? Are there different views on infidelity, if we could say that, around the world? I think of, uh, you know, cultures where, uh, you know, a mistress is sort of seen somewhat normalized. Is there a variation in different cultures as to how this topic is seen and related to? And does that affect the impact of, of uh, certain actions in terms of how they affect a relationship? Well, I would certainly say that culturally there is differences, right? There's also the kind of more old school models and the kind of uh, emerging models of, of uh, how it's dealt with in relationships. So let's say one of the old school uh, models that are often still found in Europe, if, amongst other things, is that um, you, have a, you have a monogamous relationship, you're married, it's a, you know, it, people are uh, getting together for the, the, the specific um, purpose of having a you know, family and they get married and they do the fairly conventional thing. And within that, it is somewhat assumed that there might be a time in the relationship where um, that might happen, right? That's, that's somewhat more assumed. It's also in some, in some cultures in Europe, uh, much more okay to have a mistress, for instance, right? Where it's also um, often assumed that people got married at a time and within a social context where uh, the person they chose for the, the marriage is not necessarily the person that with whom they want everything uh, for the rest of their life. So that's why um, both mistresses, but also having um, you know, uh, a close relationship with a friend or even business partners or things like that are much more accepted, where it's not assumed that one person has to do it all for that partner. And in that kind of old school model, often you hear that um, it's assumed that men want multiplicity based on evolutionary impulses and that women like one deep relationship with a depth of uh, emotional openness right so that's kind of a bit of an old school and also culturally in europe often very accepted um, way where men are essentially somewhat expected to let's say play away now that doesn't necessarily mean that um that that makes both partners in the relationship happy, but it's typically held uh, in a different context, which is, is not an entire deal breaker. And it can also be dealt with in, in, in a set kind of a way where there's a certain kind of etiquette around that and a certain kind of behavior around that. And that I think is important to understand is that what often um, I hear in, in private sessions is not that it's so much that a partner uh, played away in some form emotionally, or it's the lack of respect and it's the lack of protocol and the lack of um, procedure around it that makes the 
person who's being cheated on, so to speak, feel incredibly disrespected and also um, puts them in a position where they can't really move. And I think that's something to talk about because that's not always easily understood. You know, that, that there's protocols around that and the people um, who I've encountered even in my early years of, you know, working in, in the field of relationship back in Europe, uh, the people who have made things work, they have very strong um, respect for each other and very strong protocols around that. And there is a certain kind of an understanding that certain lines are never crossed. And when they're crossed, then then it's, you know, then it's really an issue. So I think within that, uh, if we consider that it happens a lot and if we consider that it could happen to pretty much any relationship in some form, it's good to know uh, what we're dealing with. So that's kind of more the old school way of, of, of looking at these things. I'd say then um, culturally in other parts, like for instance, when we go to Australia, we often hear this, right? In some in some societal context in Australia, we hear this. We've also heard it in, you know, in the States or so where people have gone into other relationship models, right? Where they're now in open relationships or polyamory or uh, multiple layers of partnering, even though they might not be uh, sexual with all those partners, but where it's understood that maybe uh, the way things are going these days, it, it does take a village, so to speak, right, for uh, for people and for relationships and for uh, a certain kind of context to be answered. And so, of course, in that kind of new school, so to speak, which which of course is just really an acknowledgement of a kind of a pre-old school uh, consideration around evolution, how we pick mates, why we pick mates, you know, all of those kind of things. Um, in those considerations, it's often accepted that partners can also have other partners or that there can be a certain kind of leeway in that. And one would hope that that would function better, but it actually, in my experience, very rarely does because it's very complicated uh, on the emotional level, um, as it always is, and very painful at times on the emotional level. And also because uh, there isn't really established protocols, it takes people usually a lot of time to figure out what it is that is required to make it work. And in that time, they make the kind of mistakes that breaks the trust in the relationship. And then even if they figure the protocols out, there's a certain kind of a break in, in that bond that makes it that it just doesn't really work that well. I've seen it work with a few people over the years, but that has taken um, you know, an extraordinary amount of openness and connection and dedication. Uh, but, you know, some people are into that and they want that. It sounds like you're saying that this idea of infidelity could actually express itself in many different varieties and not all of them explicitly physical, uh, for example, and that all of these different acts or, uh, you know, all these different expressions can happen for different reasons. and the reasons as to why they're happening has a big effect on the impact in the relationship. But you also seem to be saying that 
there's the cultural influence as well. What's the cultural context of what's going on? It may, may be more acceptable in some contexts than others. And also, that how does all that interact with your particular relational agreements or protocols as you put them? I'm wondering if perhaps you could talk a bit about relationship agreements and protocols as you've laid them out. Well, I mean, first of all, I want to say my advice would be to not cheat on your partner right? in an ideal world, meaning um, I think, you know, in an ideal world, you figure out who you are and what you want for yourself and for the relationship. And then you establish the kind of relationship in which your fullest potential and their fullest potential can somehow be given and enjoyed and and there is a connection there so that would be ideal because of course any form of like we say cheating right is a betrayal in itself and it's a break in the relationship and so um i i don't want to sound like i'm giving people advice on how to cheat better because I actually, you know, think that if you are in the territory of wanting to cheat or having cheated or cheating ongoingly, you have to have a look at your relationship and figure out what needs to happen so that, uh, you know, that isn't happening. And what I mean by that is that could be that you fix what it is that you're trying to remedy either in yourself or in the relationship. And fixing it might be reconnecting with your partner, addressing things, communicating things, or leaving the relationship if it's not a fixable thing. Um, you know, uh, it's also fixing in the sense when I'm saying fixing, I'm not talking about somebody being broken, but somebody adjusting their, you know, the way they do things. If because there's a lot of people who who go outside the relationship, not because the relationship's actually bad, but they just have that thing. You know, it's like a certain kind of a rush or hit that has to be um, satisfied that that they also do with shopping and porn and you know food or drugs or whatever, right? So so definitely those things should be addressed. And I definitely don't want to say cheat on your partner. Here are here are your uh, best procedures, right? Uh, because I think that's a very bad idea. And I can't say enough about the kind of pain and the kind of break in um, also personal, you know, personal connection to oneself that entire uh, engagement for both people can bring. So that's it. But now let's talk about the cultural or, or shift of paradigm in relationship where people more and more are able to say, look, we're at a part in, the, in our relationship where things need to change. Here's, I think, one of the ways it could go. Or look, we've had an ongoing problem with infidelities and distractions. Why don't we address it? Or when there is, you know, often there's also kind of a, 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 a tacit consent um, culturally or relationally or based on the way the, the marriage was formed where it's okay, it's never really discussed, but it is okay and it's working for both people, but there are certain rules, so to speak, right? But in an ideal world, um, if you know that you can't be just in one relationship with one person, you should voice that. And when you voice it, uh, you know, in, in whatever ways you see fit, then uh, there are some protocols to establish. And not, one of those protocols, as you said, is discretion is key. 
Um, you know, and this should be, we shouldn't even have to talk about this, but clearly we have to talk about this because it happens all the time and we hear it all the time, which is that you don't come home from some sexual encounter uh, to your partner, right? Uh, and wash up in the guest bathroom on the way into saying hello to them, which is something that still happens. And, you know, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it makes you it 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 makes you have to reevaluate that person that experience because you kind of have to go why right? Well, the answer is because they don't know better or because they are they're dissociated from the entire situation uh, to a point where it doesn't occur to them that that's an issue, right? Or they go, well, you said I could uh, do these things. And then they, they're, they're surprised that their partner goes, but not like this, you know, you're massively disrespectful of my feelings and my, uh, you know, my involvement in that. So, uh, you know, number one is if you do such things, you need to be ironclad in your protocols where you don't mix things either by coming home from one person to another you also ideally don't constantly run you know into the office or the bathroom to text that other person while you're with your primary partner um, you don't tell you know even if you have an open relationship you don't tell your uh, your other partner the process that you are involved in emotionally and sexually with that other person those are really rough things to um, deal with right and and super distracting to one's emotional state to say the least other things you don't do is you don't bring the person uh, who is your let's say secondary relationship to your place of work to your close friends with your primary partner um, you don't uh, uh, employ them ideally or uh, give them kickbacks and bonuses and things like that. Um, and these things should all be obvious, but that's, I mean, we all know people who've done exactly that, right? And somehow they don't think it's a problem because they think it's separate or it's a different thing or it's devoid of that depth of connection and it's just like having a meal at a different restaurant but for the other partner it's a real it's a real consideration so separation clarity cleanliness um respect right is these are some super super important things when you have agreed within a relationship that there's a certain kind of openness or leeway. And by the way, some people have some very specific, um, you know, things where they go, okay, you can do whatever you want up to, let's say, penetration or something like that, but you can't take them home to your parents or, right? So, so this needs to be understood, but even if it's not explicitly talked, explicitly talked about, you gotta err on the side of extreme respectfulness and things not mixing and things not getting muddled or it's going to be, uh, you know, mayhem. Yeah, very interesting. They say prevention is uh, better than a cure. So I'm curious, what are some of the early warning signs? I'm sure you've seen many couples come uh, through your office and 
I don't know. Have, have you sensitized? Have you? Uh, are you able to? You no. Know, have you sometimes thought? Well, it's just a matter of time here. You know, this is this is this is uh close. The, the, everything the circumstances are leading one way here. <laughs> so, what are the early warning signs, and are there ways to intercept, if you like, that uh, train and um, perhaps remedy it in some sort of a way? What what should one be looking for, or guarding against, or uh, in relationship? Uh, to avoid this sort of a situation. Yeah. Often when people come and they sit in a therapist's office, in my office in specifically in this case, uh, and they bring it up, it's already happened, you know, often. That's that that something has happened where one person goes, Whoa, I better start talking about this, or I'm this close, or I have done something and I don't want to go further down that road, or I'm about to do something and I need it sanctioned, or things like that. So I would say one of the early warning signs is that you're starting to think that you need to shore up your relationship and that, uh, you know, in some way or another, and that is your early warning sign. If your partner says, look, I'm not really happy with things, how things are, you must heed that, right? Sometimes you, you hear these um, situations where one partner goes, well, I heard the complaint, but I thought this wasn't a priority because we have a kid going to a new school or we have a baby or we're starting a business or I'm in the middle of a transition. So I heard the, the complaint or heard the question around it, but I thought it had time or we could get to it later. So it's really important to take note if a partner says, look, I'm not happy or satisfied with one person part of the relationship, that should immediately give you pause to go, okay, let us at least talk about it. Let's address it in some way. Let's know what that is. So that's super, super important. And then another version that often happens is that one partner is completely blindsided when it actually happens or when they find out it happens. And they go, well, I never knew there was something wrong. And now this part person is gone or almost gone, right? And, and the other person then says to me, well, I've told him many times or I've lost interest and how could did he not notice I've lost interest or things like that. So um, I think anytime you feel that the relationship is taking a shift that's questionable, there has to be a pause and letting it slide is a very difficult and dangerous thing to do um, because most of us, when we get into territory that's... Um, not so good give early warning signs right and even if it's just suddenly always uh spending an extra hour at work right it used to be like that that you could tell fairly easily that something was going on in a relationship because somebody suddenly had all kinds of work dinners or somebody was constantly out with their girlfriends or something like that right you kind of you, you got a stronger sense of that now we're working from home and uh, constant, you know, being on phones and everything being on the phones, it's not as easy to detect what's a work email and what's a romantic text, what's um, flipping through a news feed or flipping through Tinder, right? It's like you, you can't tell that easy anymore. So um, if you are highly sensitized, you might get super paranoid, but if you're fairly 
certain that things are okay, you might not. So it's important to note shifts in the relationship and at least question them or address them. Right? And give your partner a chance to go, well, as a matter of fact, I'm, you know, this doesn't work for me, or I'm a bit bored, or we're always doing the same thing, uh, you know, like things like that. So the key here would be, of course, to say, I'm noticing shifting patterns. Are there things we need to address versus you are always in your office late at night? Um, are you watching porn, right? So you might not want to start out like that. You might want to just go, I'm noticing shifts in patterns. Do we need to adjust things? Do we need to talk about stuff? Is there things that um, could be, you know, adjusted or considered between the two of us? It seems many of the shifts you're talking about, that can be the precursors of, or even perhaps the evidence of uh, fidelity. And as we've described it, uh, can be quite subtle in the relationship and presumably um, not always easy to spot uh, rationally. One gets a feeling, one often hears this, a feeling. You kind of know it, but you don't know how you know it. But perhaps noticing many little things that consciously you're not aware of, but somehow it all kind of feeds in there and you just get a sense that something might be up. But of course, then it's also possible, like you said, to be paranoid or oversensitive or have, you know, some overreaction to that, uh, your own insecurity feeding itself. And actually everything's fine in, in, in that regard. False alarm. How can, if someone's feeling that kind of a feeling and they want to differentiate, um, is this something I need to investigate or pursue? Is there, is there something going on here? Or is it my own um, insecurity or my own jealousy or my own paranoia that's, that's you know, misplaced? Is that even the right way to think about it? How, what would you advise somebody who, who had a feeling that something was going on or something might be going on uh, so that they could make sure that their response was uh, skillful? Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I'm laughing because when people have a feeling, typically the first thing they do is assume the worst, right? Uh, and get paranoid often and start checking your partner's phone or email or whatever, right? So when people have a feeling we're typically, you know, down the line somewhere, I would say optimally, now, of course, that's not usually how it goes, but optimally, it would be, there's two ways of going. And, you know, we've talked about this in, in other contexts before. Uh, in an optimal situation, you'd be having like regular meetings, so to speak, right? Where you just spend some time with your chosen partner or partners and you go, how are things going? How are you doing? Here's how I'm doing. Here are some of the things that are on my plate. Um, you know, here are some, some problems I'm having that may, might not even have to do with that person, right? So you actually speak about these things, not in a complaining at the end of a day way, but in a kind of a meeting, rolling out certain things kind of a way. That would be ideal, not only, by the way, in a romantic relationship, but in general, where you just have regular check-ins of where you can um, voice some things before they actually get somewhere, right? That would be 
ideal, obviously. In an established committed relationship, establishing some form of routine uh, where people go, how are you doing? What's new? What's happening? What's working? What's not working? What are some of the issues that we have to be aware of? Like, for instance, now it's the holidays, right? Um, where a lot of people get into real trouble with family or the lack of their family or having some other stuff going on that, you know, that that's so exciting. I mean, of course, now we're in the middle of COVID, but remember the days where people went to holiday parties and did some really stupid stuff talking about infidelities, right? Um, so there, there's, there's certain things that come in these waves that have to do with um, pressure being released at the end of a work year, um, transition into holidays or time that's considered a different time and a time away or a time of extra pressure and extra demand where, where established behaviors change. Um, holidays are such a time, right? Uh, so, so it's good to know that there's ebbs and flows in relationship, there's ebbs and flows in people's biorhythms, so to speak, there's ebbs and flows in patterns of holidays and, and time off and stuff like that. And to have regular conversations would be optimal, right? So that would be optimal. Of course, if that's not happening or it can't happen or whatever, or it's too late and you have a feeling, then one of the ways to go at it would be to check first. Because here's the thing, when you have a feeling it's something, it might not be what you assign it, right? So your, your feeling of something being wrong might not be your partner's issue at all, but it's clearly happening in your, uh, you know, in your being. So there's something going on, you know? So it's always good to go, what's going on? Oh, um, I haven't taken care of myself or I have worked too many hours and exercised too little and I feel horrible about myself. And so I'm starting to get insecure. And so now I'm looking for external validation for stuff that's happening within me. That's also super valid, right? It's just, you don't put it on your partner. Then you go, what's happening? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I so insecure? I know there's of course also, you know, some hormonal rhythms and things like that, that play into insecurities and bad feelings and, and stuff like that. So it's always good to first check oneself um, and perhaps say, if it's really persistent, I have stuff going on, I'm not sure what it is. Is there something we need to talk about? Or, you know, how are you doing and how are we doing? And is there things that we need to discuss, right? So it's better to do that than let it slide, let it slide, let it slide, and then get super paranoid and start checking a phone or things like that. Because here's one of the things that anybody who's ever done it has learned. When you look, it doesn't matter how transparent and innocent your partner is, you're gonna find something that upsets you. Yeah, that's just the way it goes. And then you're upset and then it, it, it goes into that groove and then it go, you know, it can devolve very quickly from there. Presumably also uh, some sort of third party perspective can be helpful. Talking it over with a counselor, perhaps, or therapist and so on can, can help to sort out the loops in, in the mind. 
and uh, and clarify. That seems like a also a, a good strategy to supplement the advice you've given. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, most definitely. I mean, I think it's always good to ongoingly check one's processes and and explorations with a third party who, particularly when you have an established relationship with a counselor, therapist, or a, you know, impartial friend, that's not that easy to find. Um, but where somebody can go, look, you always feel like that at the end of an intense work period, or look, you always feel like that at the beginning of your cycle or whatever, right? And then you go, oh, yeah, actually, Hmm. Right. So that's super useful. But just to come back to what I was saying earlier, when you feel a fluctuation in the in in the relationship, um, it's good to just address it before it becomes a thing. Right. You don't have to say you are cheating on me. Right. Or whatever. You just go, um, you know, things have changed can we talk about them why is it that now we're doing this you know why is it we no longer have dinner together in the evenings or why is it that you work late every night except saturday when you go out with your friends or whatever right and then you know the answer could be everything from your partner going oh, i haven't noticed or well there's a reason for that and it's this or they go oh yeah, there's a reason for that and mm, there's something wrong and maybe it can be addressed or maybe then, you know, it, it shows itself as what it is. Well, that's very interesting. Well, perhaps to, to finish, um, can a relationship recover from infidelity? And of course, we've, we've experimented with defining it in a really broad way and in a really narrow way. There are some minor... Uh, things which you could, you know, see as 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 a as a breach of trust, and then some more severe things. So, of course, I'm sure there's there's a range. But uh, as it's commonly thought of, have you seen couples recover from it? Um, and what advice would you have uh, in a partnership that perhaps is attempting to put things back together after uh, there's been a breach of trust in this way? Uh, I'd say I'd start out by saying I have seen people recover. I've helped people recover as well, um, uh, but it takes work and it's not an easy thing to do. And uh, it can be pretty gruesome. <laughs> um, and, and what I mean by that is the, the way to recover is to really, really be honest, right? And really be honest uh, with oneself and really be honest with the partner about, you know, the aspects of the relationship. And when I'm talking honest, I'm not talking honest as in detailing every gruesome detail of the night away with the whatever, but honest as in how did we get here? What are the aspects? And honest is also not blaming where you go, well, you're not giving it to me enough, so I had to. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actual motivations to be in the relationship and actual motivations to go elsewhere in the relationship and for both people to really dig down and um, you know realize certain things because one of the things in successful recovery of uh, that break of trust and that that trust can also be broken other ways obviously around money that sometimes happens is that you have to essentially um assume that both people played a role in that and that the person, let's say, in an infidelity who was cheating 
isn't the only one uh, who has to address certain things. And that's often very hard because there is a certain kind of pain and victimization that comes from that happening to someone. But often when it's drilled down, it's like, oh yeah, I kind of knew things were going on and I didn't want to deal with it because I had other things on my mind or I didn't want to do it uh, you know, in that particular way at that particular time or whatever. So do it as in do the, the work in the relationship. So um, I think it, it, without a, assigning blame and, and victimhood, um, really looking at how patterns and how behaviors work together for those things to actually unfold, which is typically looking at stuff that was happening before the infidelity happened is super useful. And then people have um, gotten it back together. Also, and this brings us back to the new paradigm kind of relationship model, so to speak. And what I mean by new paradigm is a more accepting uh, stance on the way human beings are built, right? Is to essentially say, when people said, okay, the way we've done it doesn't actually work with who we are. Let us adjust our relationship should actually works for who we are now and for the relationship. And that's also been very successful for some people who have created uh, structures and parameters and understandings and very deep respect and very close bonds around maybe some unconventional aspects of their behaviors. And that doesn't necessarily always mean uh, lots of other people are involved or there is a mistress or things like that, but like real honesty in, in relationship um, allows for the deepening of a relationship out of a fidelity. There's also a certain kind of being able to let things go, which is not easy when there's old resentment or resentment um, related to instances that had to do with the cheating. And then often, um, you know, it's just years of just, you know, trench warfare that might not be worth doing um, if there's, let's say, not children involved or things like that, right? So there's, there is considerations where one could say, well, these are this is the this is the top of an iceberg that goes so much deeper and if we can't drill down all the way to the root of this maybe let's not do this or if it's a recurring theme and you know there's patterns established then then it often doesn't recover what advice would you have we've talked about people who have a feeling maybe something's up what if one has a feeling that hmm i think i might I'm tempted. I think, what, what would you say to somebody who was considering cheating or was feeling themselves drawn in that direction or tempted in that direction? Uh, what would you say to somebody in that situation? Well, you know, unfortunately, often when people are tempted or drawn in that direction, it's be, it's like a runaway train, right? Often, often they're, they're just, you know, it's happening. You know, it's not always the case. Some people are very, very conflicted and it's really tough on them and they know they shouldn't. And, but, you know, there's stuff happening. So I would say get help if you can get help. Um, I have 
often though, uh, and you know, that's why I'm saying I get to see a certain kind of a slice of person, but often people come and they essentially want me to give them permission to do the thing, right? They've already decided and they now want some reasoning or sanctioning. And that's of course a very difficult position to put any counselor or therapist in because um, if you say no, you assume the the role of the disapproving father, mother, or spouse. If you say yes, you're, you know, maybe enabling something that ruins their lives or their relationship, um, and you know, the psyche of their children or whatever. Right. So it's like a really, really, really tough spot um, to advise somebody on. And the best, I think, that anybody who is in that situation who goes, oh, I am going down some road that is really not that great is to get help probably professionally, but also from a really good trustable friend, you know, where, um, you know, a trustworthy friend is somebody who doesn't push their agenda on somebody, but who can say, look, are you sure about this? Do you know what this will do? you know, to your life and stuff like that. But, you know, that also takes some maturity and within that maturity, uh, and sometimes it just takes that. I've seen that in people. They're like that close, they talk it through, they get a grip on what's really happening, they address what's really happening. That's definitely possible. But, but some people look at cheating the ways other people look at potato chips, right? You just... You have to have them. You have to, you know, you shouldn't have them. Uh, you know, you're going to, you know, or potato chips is not that bad, but you know what I mean? It's like you, you, you're you going to eat something, you know, you're going to regret eating, but you must do it. And then, you know, you deal with the consequences later. That's unfortunately often how it goes. Uh, when you are able to say, probably shouldn't do that, there's a pretty good chance that you have enough distance that you can, uh, you know, make remedial action. And of course, the other thing that we haven't talked about yet, right, which is also a real thing, is sometimes you form a really deep bond with somebody and it is a thing, right? But, and and it is a thing that warrants exploration and examination. And, you know, love is, a, love is an odd and, and mysterious thing. So there is that too, but typically, the thing we think is uh, the amazing, you know, deep love is often just um, a taste for something new, the new sparkly thing, a new challenge, something exciting, a hit of dopamine, you know, all of those kind of things. And then you have, you know, then some bonding hormones kick in and you have to see things through. And then three years later, you find yourself in the same situation with another person because it's really a pattern. So it's a complicated issue. And, you know, there's, I think, no pat answer, even though it's always nice to have the top 10 reasons why people cheat and the top 10 things you can do to not cheat. And there is some of those, but I think it's important to say that it usually starts somewhere totally different. Mm. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. A lot of nuance to this topic. Yeah. Well, Michaela, that was very fascinating. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Michaela Bohm podcast. For workshops, courses, teacher trainings and more, visit www 
MichaelaBoehm.com.